Welcome to Pick Me Up, I'm Scared, the podcast. I'm your host, Madeline. And I'm your co-host, Kenna. All right, Kenna, today, the question I have for you, it's an easy one. Do you own any cryptocurrency? I do. Okay, all right. Do you remember, like, why you first bought it? Like, what was going on in your life and why you were like, huh, maybe I should buy cryptocurrency? Um, oh, I had an ex-boyfriend who got really into it, and he made a ton of money. Right. That sounds about, like, me, but not, like, someone I knew. I just, I think I bought cryptocurrency for the first time when it, peaked up to eight thousand dollars oh yeah now it's like bitcoin was eight thousand dollars now bitcoin is worth so much more than that um but i saw everybody on the internet making memes about it and everyone was like ah bitcoin and i was like ah, i gotta buy bitcoin <laughs> and then i bought bitcoin for like eight thousand dollars but i only bought like twenty dollars of it or something so it like wasn't worth that much and then just here and there where i could I've been like, oh, I'll buy some crypto. It's probably smart. Rich people buy crypto. All these people get rich off crypto. Yeah, I've been kind of buying it just so I, because I want to save and I just don't see myself spending it. Yeah, exactly. It's like, well, it's in there now. It just just lives in there. And yeah, because I'm just like, ah, it's a pain to get it out. Yeah. Okay. So then my follow-up question, do you know what cryptocurrency is? Kind of. Kind of. Yeah, that's how I felt, too, before like, I did this episode. Blo- blockchain. Uh, <laughs> yeah, blockchain, Bitcoin, Ethereum. Encrypted. And, and, uh, NFT? That's different. Um, Coinbase. <laughs> I know Coinbase. That's what you use. Wallet. Um, wallet. A wallet. But, yeah, I do know what NFT is. Oh, Okay. It's a non-fungible token. Yes, but it is on the Ethereum blockchain. It is on the Ethereum blockchain. You can use Ethereum to buy it. There's actually a great episode on what NFTs are by On The Media. It oh. breaks down pretty, pretty well. Yeah, so obviously today's topic is cryptocurrency. Ooh. <laughs> oh. Um, so I start- stonks. Stonks. <laughs> it's the alternative to stonks. We need like a crypto version of stonks. Uh, like Bintcoin, B-I-N-T. Bint, uh, yeah, Bintcoin. Bintcoin stonks. <laughs> so, okay, the first thing I wanted to do is I was like, I'm really going to understand what cryptocurrency is. Like, I'm actually going to know all those words we said, what they mean. Um, so I did some, I did some research. <laughs> and what I figured out is that to really understand what cryptocurrency is, you need to understand a few concepts. And the main concepts are cryptography, blockchain, which you mentioned, and just currency in general, right? So first off, the easiest one I think is currency. Like, kind of, how do you def- how do you define currency? What do you think of as currency? Uh, you use uh something to represent like goods and services. So instead of trading like apples for uh a bag of potatoes yes, i don't know that's good you use money to represent the value of the potatoes or the apples therefore you don't have to barter it's just like a representation of the value of something that exactly. you can store easily for later yeah it's just money and it's a medium of exchange and it's a store of value all of which you touched on 
And we did talk about this in our free Craigslist for President episode in which I think that your example of bartering was apples for a car. (laughs) (laughs) This time it's apples for potato. It's a little more level this time. You're not dreaming so big today, I can see. I'm I'm tired. Yeah, you're sleepy today. Okay, that's okay. You can shoot for the car next time. (laughs) Potato car. Potato car. Um, But yeah, so money is a way to just say, hey, I need to acquire goods, but I don't necessarily need to acquire goods right now give me the money instead and then I can figure out what to do with the money later and uh we hate money because it leads to wealth hoarding right that store of value thing so so yeah fuck money um but whatever that's what currency is so that that part of cryptocurrency makes sense we know what money is but cryptocurrency obviously is a form of digital currency like digital money that involves cryptography do you know what cryptography is I feel like they always mention it, like, if you ever are, like, flipping through the channels when people had cable. Oh, okay, yes. <laughs> like, on the History Channel, it be like, the cryptographers of World War II breaking the code. Oh, okay, so I never saw any of that. So this was a to- totally new idea to me. But, yeah, that's basically what it is. You're, it's, like, code. You're code breaking. Um, and they use it now today in a computer science term that refers to communicating in a private or secure way thanks to like algorithmic methods of encrypting information to make it harder to de- decipher. But yeah, it is. It's like spy shit, you know? Yeah. yeah. So we use crypto- cryptography a lot in like our day-to-day lives online. It's used for key generation. I don't even know what that means though, like on the internet. Uh, I think it's like basically like kind of like a two-way password i i honestly knew this in college and i believe it's like you have a key someone else has a key so you both can use it to uh encrypt your messages end to end that makes sense also like i know my computer sometimes asks me for random key things yeah i feel like it's basically like kind of like a password yeah like but someone might be like, well, actually, like... Right, right. But we're doing not the fancy. We're doing the... No the fancy. Re- no fancy today. Kenneth's tired. We are doing simple. <laughs> um, it also is used in digital signing uh, and also like verification to protect data privacy. It's used in web browsing. It's used in credit card transactions. And it's even used in email. And usually it involves taking something that's in plain text encrypting it into ciphertext, which sounds exciting, then decrypting it back into plain text again. Yep. Pretty easy. So the crypto part of cryptocurrency references this process of cryptography, which secures it and makes it pretty safe from a perspective of like counterfeiting or like double use. It's relatively secure. And usually the method of making sure they are secure is this thing called blockchain technology. Oh yeah. So what do you know about blockchain? Dudes love it. Men love blockchain. <laughs> they just fucking, oh, they love blockchain so hard. They want to talk to you about it. Um, I am actually kind of confused on the subject, but to me it's just like a system of, I don't know, like uh, automation and technology. To me it seems like kind of like a, some sort of code, but. Yes. Okay, so. Aside from the thing about the men loving it, what I learned about blockchain is that it's a distributed database. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. And it's shared amongst lots of different like elements of a computer network that they like to call nodes, but I don't like that word, so I'm going to use it as little as possible. Okay. It seems weird to me. It seems like the Noid. Like, if you remember from the Domino's or Pizza Hut, who had the Noid? Who avoided the Noid? I don't know what's happening. You don't know the noise? No. I have not. I have too successfully avoided the noise. Oh, 
oh my god like you have to look it up later it's like this creepy creature that lives in your pizza what <laughs> from the I, 80s I, yeah and i think it makes your pizza cold oh and it's like a little red guy in like a little red suit with like weird ears i think wow okay well that deserves like a youtube look yeah up later. later yeah um okay well this does not involve <laughs> annoyed <laughs> it does involve the computer nodes but like i said i hate those so i'm not gonna use that word but basically it just means yeah you've got like a digital ledger of transactions and then it's duplicated and distributed across a whole network of computers so each block on the blockchain contains a number of transactions and whenever a new transaction occurs on the blockchain a record of the transaction is added to like each participant's ledger which means that the more something is used and passed around the more shit you have that you've added into all the ledgers for everybody participating in the network and the bigger the files get so every time you buy or sell or use cryptocurrency a record of that happening gets added to each part of the chain and when you have a decentralized database managed by multiple participants, it's called Distributed Ledger Technology, or DLT. Wow, it sounds like a sandwich. It's, it is, It's but not... It's <laughs> what does the D stand for? <laughs> distributed Lettuce and Tomatoes. Um, so blockchain is a type of DLT, and transactions are recorded with cryptography, and they call it a hash, but I don't know why, but they just do. And it's not a good name. They got some bad names in tech. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it. So why does any of this shit matter, right? Well, it helps make your currency super secure. So like say someone wants to hack your money and like fuck all your shit up. Well, if one block in one chain is changed, it's immediately apparent that it's been tampered with because there's copies of that block all, block all over the place and the changed one would stand out, right? So if hackers wanted to alter something on a blockchain system, they would have to change every single block in every single part of the chain across all of the distributed versions of the chain, which would be like hard as fuck to do. Yeah. So yeah, like I think of it as though you're a spy in an action movie and you've got like a flash drive and the bad guy is trying to steal it and he manages to get to it, but then you're like, it's too late. I already shared this information with one million people on the internet, ha ha ha. So even if they destroy the evidence, the information is still out there. Uh, and I'm sure that's not like a perfect analogy, but it's the easiest one that works in my brain. That sticks in my brain too. I feel like that is a plot of a, like some sort of 90s, 2000s movie. I think it's like all of them. There's like a floppy disk or a flash drive. I'm gonna send the floppy disk to all the television networks. Exactly, <laughs> or like the net with um Sandra Bullock. I forgot about that movie. I don't remember any of it except for her being a hacker. Yeah, no, I love that movie. She is, she's like a hacker, but like for a corporation. And then she like finds like a, like a bad hack group infiltration plot and she downloads it onto a floppy disk and then these people are trying to get the floppy disk and I'm like the data clearly lives somewhere besides just the floppy disk but whatever 90s internet movie <laughs> yeah it's pretty good um okay so then like another key part of like understanding what cryptocurrency is is mining do you know about mining cryptocurrency oh I've heard people talking about it yeah it's like it does a few things. So it creates new coins, but it also like validates the cryptocurrency transactions on the blockchain and adds them to the distributed ledger, keeping track of everything. And it prevents the double spending basically of a digital currency. So when crypto is used, the digital ledger, um, it has to be like updated reflecting the transaction. Just like in the old timey days when we balanced our checkbooks, we like mm. wrote down every transaction, right? 
And it also has to be like documented in the crypto world because you're moving it from one account and adding it to another. So it needs to be updated on like both ledgers, right? Like a deduction here and an addition there. So since the mining process is essential to maintaining like the integrity of a cryptocurrency, miners are rewarded for their work by receiving new coins. And that's supposed to like incentivize people to secure the network by validating transactions. So the way these transactions are validated is through a proof of work consensus protocol. And the mining is done via like these complex mathematical equations, which need to be solved by machines. And the equations are the cryptographic hashes, I guess, used to encode the data. So the first miner who decodes the hash value gets to add the block to the ledger and is rewarded with a share of new cryptocurrency. And I feel like that sentence I just said is like one of those memes that's like none of these words are in the Bible. You know, have you seen those? <laughs> like all these words are fake. The first miner who decodes the hash value gets to add the block to the ledger and is rewarded with a share of new cryptocurrency. Like what did I just say? Um, but yeah, here we are. So each block uses a hash function to refer to the previous block and then it forms an unbroken chain of blocks leading all the way back to the very first block, hence blockchain. Does it make sense? Yeah. I think it kind of makes sense. I think I kind of understand. So over time, the difficulty of the equations that you need to solve in order to like validate the transactions and get your little, your little minor reward of a coin spit out at you, the difficulty increases and miners have to deploy more advanced like machines and technology to solve the proof of work needed. And also competition amongst the miners rises, right? Because it gets more popular, more people are like, oh shit, you make money doing that, I wanna try to do that. And all of this increases the scarcity of cryptocurrency over time. So the Bitcoin network, aims to have one block produced every 10 minutes or so with the difficulty of mining re-evaluated every 2016 blocks. Um, just because like technology advances and people get better at it. And when there is more computer, like computing power working to mine, like when you have like more fancy machine go fast, boom, boom, doing it, the difficulty level of the mining increases as well to keep like the block production at a stable rate. So less computing power means the difficulty level decreases, but at today's like normal network size, an average like home computer trying to mine for Bitcoin wouldn't really turn up anything because it's competing with huge networked computers, right? Mm -hmm. That are like made just to do this now. So today, Bitcoin mining hardware is almost entirely made up of these things called ASIC machines or application-specific integrated circuits. And the application they're specific to is mining Bitcoin. And they can cost anywhere from like $500. Like I saw online, some people like get a bunch of like video cards and hack together their own like DIY Bitcoin mining computer. It's Whoa. pretty wild. Um, but they can also go up to like tens of thousands of dollars and be like super professional rigs. Wow. So obviously, like, one of the unique things about cryptocurrency is it's not issued by any one country or government. So it kind of exists in this, like, weird liminal space outside of any government interference or manipulation. And if you listen to our episode about capitalism or paid, like, just a lot of attention in school, uh, you know that Keynesian economics is all about, like, subtly controlling money in a quote-unquote free market by introducing things like set interest rates to control, control for, like, inflation or deflation, Right. Um, capitalism isn't quite like the free market we're told it is. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, uh, it would have totally just collapsed during the Great Depression and we wouldn't have a country anymore, right? <laughs> or the Great Recession. Or the Great Recession. It would collapse all these times. So whatever. So cryptocurrency obviously exists outside of a government, um, which could be good or bad, I guess. It means that if your country's currency gets totally inflated, for example, cryptocurrency wouldn't necessarily be affected. Or if your country collapses and its currency becomes totally devalued, 
cryptocurrency might not necessarily be affected by that either. But on the flip side, if cryptocurrency does become totally inflated or deflated, there's no government stepping in with that like Keynesian thing to kind of balance it out. There's no protection against that either. It just is inflated or deflated for however long it wants to be. Um, And another thing that people really like about crypto is that it's decentralized. You hear people say that like all the time, right? But that just means like if there's an issue with a single point somewhere, the whole thing doesn't totally collapse. Um, And obviously, of course, people like how secure it is, right? So whatever. So that's what cryptocurrency is. I think I understand it now. I think I understand it. Like, how would you simplify it? Um, Oh, cryptocurrency? It's like uh, computer money. It's computer money. (laughs) It lives in your phone and your computer and on hard drive. Yeah, it's computer money that uh, instead of being stored in banks is stored in a network like the network, uh, the movie starring Sandra Bullock. No, Sandra Bullock <laughs> invented cryptocurrency. Uh, I think she did. I think, I think that if you look at her Wikipedia page, it's like the first thing that comes I up. I think so too. Sandra Bullock invented cryptocurrency and the blockchain is just a fancy way of balancing your checkbook. Exactly. That's it. Okay, yeah. So do you know anything about like the history of how cryptocurrency started? I thought it was to buy drugs on the internet. Um, that's a big part of it. Yeah, that wasn't the initial <laughs> part. But I'm glad you brought that up because that was also my first experience with cryptocurrency. <laughs> um, so kind of like in 1989, there was this guy, David Chaum. I'm so bad at proper nouns. I, it's C-H-A-U-M. I think it's Chaum. Chaum. Whatever it is. Davey. He created the idea of using cryptography to create digital signatures to electronic payment platforms. And his goal was to ensure that money spent on digital platforms like the internet could remain anonymous while also not being counterfeited by third-party hackers. So he used this thing called blind signatures to make sure the identity of the person signing wasn't revealed, keeping it anonymous. And blind signatures now are used all the time in e-commerce. They protect our online credit card transactions. And uh, Davy Boy's digital currency called DigiCash, which is mm. about as good of a name as Netflix, I think, coming out <laughs> this time period, um, went bankrupt in 1998. But other companies soon emerged kind of based on this idea. One company, which also had a really good, like, 90s internet name, it was Flooz.com. Oh, my God. F-L-O-O-Z. Uh, they created their own virtual money as part of a marketing campaign. Wait, was it called Bucks? Uh, I don't know, but I'm sure it was, right? Floozbucks. Floozbucks. That's probably, what else would it be? Flooz cash. Floozy doozy. No. Floozy doos. I think you gotta your, You gotta pay your floos dues. Yeah, floos dues is actually pretty good. <laughs> um, so they could like have this currency that you could use on their website like cash, but also you could use it on other websites too. They like partnered with other websites, so you could use your... Flu, you can pay your flus dues, lots of places. <laughs> and then flus eventually ran into trouble, though, when hackers started making a bunch of purchases on the platform using stolen credit cards and then got a bunch of free flus dues from it. <laughs> <laughs> and it just, like, destabilized the whole flus cash market, basically. Oh, oh, no. Yeah, the whole company never recovered. And so then in 1996, a lawyer and an oncologist launched their own system that allowed users to buy and sell digital gold online via tokens called e-gold. Wow. The names were really a simpler time. Oh, I, yeah, back in eighth grade, the names were amazing. Yeah. So this e-gold, its value was literally backed by actual gold that the lawyer and the oncologist would store for you in safety deposit boxes. Oh. Yeah. 
It's like the gold standard for the dollar, but online. Wow. And eventually, the government found out that one of the founders was just using this whole operation to launder money. Um, I was going to say, this This sounds kind of scammy. Yeah, I know. It's not very shocking coming from the gold guys. I feel like the gold guys are always up to some sketchy shit. Like, have you ever met, like, a guy IRL who's way too into gold? Yeah, and then you find out some, uh, yeah, some shocking viewpoints that yes. are very libertarian and worse and they're always like i don't pay my taxes i just bury it in gold in my backyard and you're like do you know where it is in your backyard and they're like no and you're like i can't trust myself yeah exactly you're like you just lost you just you just lost gold in your backyard like an old-timey pirate okay got it yeah so basically e-gold was an extended version of that right and the whole company had to have its gold reserves frozen and then kaput no more e-gold very very sad (laughs) so sad i know so and then in 1997, there was this other thing called Hash Cash that came out. Whoa. Yeah. Based on that whole idea of a hash that I mentioned earlier, which was like the algorithmic blah, blah thing that oh. goes with the, the, the blockchain. That's oh. the word I know. Block- yeah. So Hash Cash came out and it was introduced by a cryptographer named Adam Beck. Um, also, like it was based on the same programming that was used to deal with email spam. So Beck suggested that there needed to be a proof of work system in place for digital currencies in the same way proof of work had been used to reduce spam in your inbox. And Hashcash is what he came up with. However, it was not scalable due to network congestion and it ultimately failed. Oh no. But you can kind of hear it's starting to sound like what modern cryptocurrency is, right? We're starting to get there. We got the proof of work, we got the hash, it's happening. So then, of course, PayPal came out in 1998, December 1998, and it had like a similar type of online currency, but from a centralized server. So just in one place. Um, Do you remember the early days of PayPal? Yes, because I was buying shit on eBay on dial-up. Yes, I also was doing this. I was a very early adopter of PayPal. Same. I think my, I've had my PayPal account for a long fucking time. Well, I had to get a new one. Because I got, yeah, because my, my original one was like my, my like AIM name, which I don't remember. Yeah, my first one I got when I was 12. And I remember I really wanted to buy a pair of white Converse on eBay. And I was like, I need a PayPal account. And I remember I was 12 years old. So it must have been 1999. And it was like how old are you? Are you 18? And I was like, yeah. yes. And then they didn't check. They never checked. Yeah. It, it, for a little bit, I was like, they're going to know. And then I was like, how are they going to know? Yeah. I was on, I was on eBay in 1998, 90, 99. I would buy, I was, uh, would buy cassette tapes cause I was really into cassettes. So I'd buy all the cure tapes. I and- love that uh lunch boxes i was like into lunch boxes for a second i was only into shoes and i was always looking at doc martens always yeah but no we i figured you would we we were both early adopters of paypal because of ebay yeah like ebay old ebay rocked old ebay before and it was like wild west yeah it was wild west and if you wanted something you literally mailed money in the mail in an envelope to someone and then they shipped your thing Oh, I, I did that with a money order. Yeah. Because yeah. people will be like, we only accept money orders, no like personal checks. And I was like, well, I'm 13 anyway, so I go to the fucking post office. Yes. Yeah. That well, was I completely forgot about this. Like getting a money order at the post office for like $11. Right. To buy like your weird thing on eBay. And you put it in the mail and you'd wait and be like, God, I hope they get it and send me this thing. Yeah. Well, sometimes it didn't come. Sometimes it never came. Yeah. So wild, obviously. Wow. PayPal. Going back. Days. I love that. Whoa. We were there. Yeah. We, along with Sandra Bullock, invented the internet. <laughs> 
We kind of did. We did. I mean, <laughs> not to toot our horn, but beep beep. Beep beep. So um, by 1999, there was also this thing that happened on the internet while you and I were creating fake PayPal accounts to buy things <laughs> on eBay. Um, this person named uh, Wei Dai started this thing called B-Money. And this was a virtual currency on a decentralized network. So different than PayPal and starting to sound a lot more like cryptocurrency as we think of it today. And here, members would perform certain tasks and contracts would then automatically be executed. And it wasn't quite blockchain technology and it never fully got off the ground, but it was really revolutionary at the time. And it kind of laid the foundation for the blockchain technology that would follow and really had like huge impact on the cryptocurrency world. Oh, also the B movie. Yes, the B money. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so around the same time, there was also something called BitGold, uh, which had its own proof-of-work system that's similar to today's cryptocurrency on a modern blockchain. And BitGold also sought to avoid reliance on centralized currency of any kind. So instead, it wanted to like reflect the real properties of gold, but online. Um, it failed, but also was super influential in cryptocurrencies we think of it today because Nick Sabo, who developed BitGold, Develop the proof-of-work protocol that's widely used in cryptocurrency now. Hmm. Yeah. So cut to 2008. Kind of what was happening in 2008. 2008. I had just moved to Portland. Uh, and the Great Recession happened. Yes, it did. The Great Recession. <laughs> it fucked us up. And it was car- caused largely by banks being sketchy. Right? Oh, yes. Super sketchy. Yeah. Oh, my God. Honestly, what... What explained to me uh, the Great Recession the best and why it happened is that book, The Big Short, and the movie. I watched the movie finally based on your recommendation. Uh, What did you think? Uh, It was really good. It helped me understand. Like, the book made me be like, oh, wow, this is what it's based on. Because, like, the when you at the time the media made it sound like we don't know why this is happening and the book is like well yeah this is happening because people are making bad loans yeah and, like they're making bad and like the way the financial system is set up they need more and more things to be able to make money off for banks to make money off of fees of so they like keep making these like quote unquote like exotic products right that are basically betting yes yeah yeah for sure So yeah, these banks were giving these fucked up loans to people so they could trade the loans and sell them and make money off them. And everyone at the time was kind of like, dude, fuck this. Like, I think the banks are shitty. Like, we don't trust them. Do you remember also the Occupy movement was going on? Yeah, that happened like, uh, yeah, right after that happened, I think. Right. And it was like all the people went and occupied Wall Street because they were tired of like the banks and all of like all the money people profiting off of their misery and they were like we are the 99 percent like fuck the one percent that was like the occupy thing yeah i feel like i remember it coming i don't know if this is correct out of Adbusters. do you remember that magazine potentially yeah yeah i think also occupy was the first time that i was like i don't think i'm an anarchist anymore because i remember the movement because i had always been an anarchist right But I remember that movement was so unfocused and they were like, we intentionally don't have an objective. And I was like, I really want to support this, but I also feel like it would not be hard for you to have an objective. And that's what I was like, maybe some things need a little structure, just a little, not a lot, just a little. Yeah. And like, it's, it's kind of like, what is it used for? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, is it used to give one person ultimate authority or is it used to get shit done? Right. And I was like, these people could really be getting shit done, but 
they were not. And I was like, mm, Occupy Movement, you let me down. They let me down. Um, but yeah, so anyway, all of this is happening in 2008. And as this is all happening, a mysterious person or group of people we don't know who went by the name Satoshi Nakamoto came out with this paper critiquing the centralized control of money and the trust required in handling the wealth of like the everyday people and all of that power being placed in the hands of like these banks and these governments and these rich people basically. Very Occupy vibes though. So um, this paper was called Bitcoin, a peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash system. And it was nine pages long and it was considered super revolutionary at the time. So I'm not gonna read the whole paper obviously, but I will read a part of the abstract just so you get like an idea of what it said. So part of the abstract says, a purely peer-to-peer -peer version of electronic cash would allow online payments to be sent directly from one party to another without going through a financial institution. Digital signatures provide part of the solution, but the main benefits are lost if a trusted third party is still required to prevent double spending. We propose a solution to the double spending problem using a peer-to-peer -peer network. The network timestamps transactions by hashing them into an ongoing chain of hash-based proof of work, forming a record that cannot be changed without redoing the proof of work. So that's kind of like an excerpt from, you know, the abstract. And it's interesting because it kind of reminds me of like, um, like Napster vibes. Remember like peer-to-peer -peer yes. file sharing was really I, popular. I was on LimeWire. Yeah, I also was on LimeWire and BearShare. Yeah, uh, if you want your computer to get a nasty virus. <laughs> That's where you do it. But you also got all of the, uh, what did I download off LimeWire? I don't know. I, I downloaded so many weird things and things that were always mislabeled. Like, okay, I downloaded... Um, this one song that was labeled R.E.M., but it was actually, um, <clears throat> oh God, this 70s rock band. Um, R.E.O. Speedwagon. <laughs> no, God, it's gonna drive, television, it was television. Oh, whoa. And I was like, why does R.E.M. have this one fucking bomb song? It was not, years later, I was in college, I heard it and I was like, oh, it's television. That fucking lime wire, it, 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 it lied to me. Yeah. Yeah. Or you would like go to download a song and like somebody would have uploaded like their indie band that kind of sounded similar. And you're and, like, like God to try to find it. it. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, I actually mentioned this earlier, but when the movie Go came out in 1998 or 1999, I really, really loved the music video that No Doubt did for the movie Go. Um, and it was new was the song that was on the Go soundtrack. And they made their own music video that was inside of a rave because Go was all about like 90s rave. And um, the video never aired on MTV. I saw it once and I was obsessed with Gwen Stefani's hair in it. It was so cute. It was like white blonde with like purple tips. And I was like, I gotta find it. So I spent a month downloading the music video like on Napster. A <laughs> month. It took so long for me to download this music. And I'd come home from school every single day and like check on it. Like I'd set it to start downloading before I left when like everyone was gone at work. So like the phone line, nobody would call and interrupt the download because that would happen too. Somebody would call, you get kicked off the internet, you'd lose your download. Uh, I remember when we finally got a second phone line and I was like, oh my God, we've made it. Yeah, the internet phone line, people who had that, oof. oof. Yeah, but basically, um, yeah, I thought this like wording was really interesting because it was very like peer-to-peer -peer, and I feel like you were coming out of the 90s, which is very peer-to-peer -peer focused and there was this like general cultural idea of like we don't need the institutions, we can work with each other, but like in this weird digital realm. Yeah, the, to me, it kind of seems of like, you know, when you Venmo now, someone now, you're like Venmoing funds from like your bank account and then it goes through someone else's bank and then deposit it or and then 
deposits in their Venmo and then they deposit it in their bank account if, unless they're using their Venmo balance. So to me, it's kind of like that, but there's no bank in between. Right. It's instant it's, transfer. It's like if you would just hand someone money. Right. It's like, yeah, it's exactly like that. But, but it's but in the, the mint- middle is like, in the middle is a ghost hand handing the other person money. Yes. <laughs> and that ghost hand is the blockchain. Wow. Or yeah. Sandra Bullock. Or Sandra Bullock. Or Sandra Bullock. Sandra Bullock's uh, uh, ethereal hand yes. reaching b- to grab your money and give it to the money of your closest associates. I like that because it's like, oh, the capitalists, they have the, the free hand. <laughs> we have Sandra's we hand. We have Sandra's hand. Sandra's handra. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, okay, I liked reading this and being like, oh, it takes me back to a time and what, like, the general language was at the time, blah, blah, blah. So basically... Satoshi drops this shit and people are like, whoa, wait, this might work. And then on January 3rd, 2009, the blockchain launches. And the very first block uh, is mined. And it is called the Genesis block. And uh, I think that's a really sick name, honestly. I think that was like really, I'm like, it's very cyberpunk, the Genesis block. It kind of sounds like uh, uh, Evangelion Genesis. It's It's like a really good anime. Oh, okay, okay. Goat anime. Um, so on January 12th, this is like nine days later, 2009, this computer programmer, Hal Finner, received the world's first Bitcoin mining reward. And it was 10 Bitcoin for mining the block 70. And these tokens came straight from Satoshi Nakamoto. So those 10 Bitcoin today would be worth $417,274 in US dollars based on the time that I looked up the current price of Bitcoin when I wrote this. Um... And at Bitcoin's peak in November 2021, it would have been worth $680,000. Whoa. Yeah. Um, so at this stage, Bitcoin, though, was really only available to miners who were validating Bitcoin blockchain data. And this was like people who just believed in it. They saw, you know, the paper online and they were like, I believe in this. I want to do it. But Bitcoin itself didn't really have any monetary value yet. So a year later, on May 22nd, 2010... Uh, this is like the first recorded Bitcoin transaction. A man in Florida bought a pizza from Papa John's using Bitcoin and paid 10,000 Bitcoin for a $25 oh, pizza. No! <laughs> I'm doing the math in my head right now. Today, obviously, that would be a $418 million pizza. <laughs> Florida man strikes again. <laughs> Florida man. $418 million for a pizza. Also, but also... A huge flex. It kind of is. <laughs> like, that guy is just living his life. Like, I almost bought if you're a just like billion dollar pizza. Fuck money. I spent $400 million on a pizza. Yeah. Like, um, I don't know if that's some real capitalist shit or some real anti-capitalist shit. I don't know either. I don't know either. I don't know. Well, it's, it's gone full circle absurd where I'm just is. like, uh-oh. It's da That's what it is. I would yeah. just, I would take just like $1 million and I would be good. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I could stick that in my retirement. You could. That's all you need. Yeah. So back then, though, it showed that four Bitcoins equaled one U.S. penny. Whoa. Yeah. Um, or one Bitcoin was worth a quarter of a penny. 
So in the early days of Bitcoin, people pretty much just used it online in internet forums to barter and usually for illegal shit like drugs. <laughs> cool. And this brings us to <laughs> Silk Road. Oh, yes. that's what I was thinking of. Yeah. So did you ever hear the podcast story um, about the girl who used Bitcoin to buy like acid or something online at Silk Road um, like in the early or mid 10,000, 2000s, 2010s? Yeah, yeah, that was then. And... She did this and thought like, oh my God, now Bitcoin is like peaking. It's worth all this money. I bet I have a little bit of Bitcoin left over from when I did this. So she had this podcast help her track down her old, old Bitcoin to see what it was worth. Because if it was a lot of it, you know, she might be a millionaire. And they ended up tracking down and it was only like $10 worth of Bitcoin. Like it was hardly anything, but it was like a funny episode. Oh my God. But that was like so the environment of that era, like. Silk Road, if you remember, it was a black market dark web website where you could buy and sell stuff of questionable legality using Bitcoin. And you, it was shut down in 2013 by the FBI, but I definitely remember like my friends buying drugs on Silk Road. Did they ever come? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My friends would get drugs shipped to them, like from other countries usually. Whoa. Yeah, and they would buy them on Silk Road. It was like a dark web thing. Wait, I definitely had a friend who like bought drugs off Silk Road. And they're like, yeah, I probably, like I paid in Bitcoin and like that was probably like $100,000 for Molly. Yeah, exactly. It was like that. (laughs) Um, but yeah, in, in 2010, Bitcoin finally though started to be traded on exchanges for the first time too. And that made it more popular to the average person, not just your sketchy friend who bought drugs on the dark web. (laughs) For possibly $100,000. So now you had like average people could buy, sell, trade, and store Bitcoin on these exchanges. Then around 2011, minters and coders started to develop other similar types of cryptocurrency like Ethereum and Litecoin, all while improving the code behind Bitcoin's blockchain. And crypto on the whole kind of started to take off. So this same year, Bitcoin's value surpassed one U.S. dollar for the first time. Wow. Yeah. And by 2012, a student in Germany built a Bitcoin to Euro ATM. And then the year after that, Bitcoin reached $200 in value, which was a huge jump. Then by November 2017, it had skyrocketed up to $10,000 per coin. Wow. Yeah. And that same year, the world saw the first Bitcoin billionaires. Oh, my God. Do you remember this? I remember. You know what's funny? I had bought some Bitcoin in, like, 2017, 2018. Forgotten about it. Like, bought, like, 40 bucks worth. I I looked back, like, last year when I was, like, really starting to get in. Made, like, 500 bucks. Yeah. Well, the first Bitcoin billionaires were the Winklevoss twins, who are these two twins in tech who actually sued... Um, the Facebook guy we all hate. What's his name? Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah, I think they sued Mark Zuckerberg. I'm I'm only sixty percent sure. Of this. Oh, were they like because people talk about the movie that they're in? Oh, I haven't seen it. I think they're in the movie. They're like yeah, they're characters in the movie. Yeah, but... well, whoever it is, they sued someone in tech who's like really really huge for using their technology, and they won like forty seven million dollars. And I think um they like maybe used some of that money to invest in crypto, but whatever the case, they're like we're Bitcoin true believers. Even at its high, they never sold. They're like we're holding it like for ever um and i saw a picture of them and they look exactly like how you'd expect bitcoin billionaires to look it's not surprising wearing like the tech fleeced vest or some shit no they're just like white dudes in obnoxious suits 
Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have the San Francisco. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, this is... My- <laughs> no, they look very No offense LA. to tech vests. No. Tech vests are cool. They keep you, your chest warm. Yeah, so, but this is when we finally start to see people are like, oh, this is like, you can make money with Bitcoin. And finally, it reached its peak high to date in November of 2021 of $68,990, which is upsetting because it is just $10 shy of 69K, which is decidedly not nice. Uh, And it's just a cool number. Yeah, yeah. However, (laughs) in 10 years, Bitcoin had gone up 177,500% in value, which is pretty unheard of for most investments. Dude. So that kind of brings us to today. So over the past 10 years, we've seen cryptocurrency kind of become like a craze of sorts. I feel like there are so many different types of cryptocurrencies now on the market. Like, do you know of any of the other ones? Oh, I invested in this one because I thought it was cool. The BAT, the Basic Attention Token. You use it on the Brave browser. If you use the Brave browser for the time that you spent on there, because they do some ads in there, they pay you in their cryptocurrency, which is the basic attention token. And for some reason, I just think that's cool that you get paid to use the internet, even if it's in some weird crypto coin. So that's why I bought it. I like that. And to look at ads. And you get look- paid to look at ads. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, I'm going to do that anyway. Right. Um, yeah, there's also like Dogecoin. You remember when that was huge? Yeah, because didn't Elon Musk say some shit about it and like it went all huge and it was all scammy and shit? Yeah, I don't know. Um, there was also the, the Shibu Inu coin. Oh, Do you remember yeah. that I one? thought, oh, how is that? I thought a Doge was a Shiba Inu. Maybe it's the same one. Oh. I don't know. There's all these little ones. Uh, Kodak made their own one. It was called the Kodak coin. Like the film company? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Weird. There's also Popcoin. Uh, just made for the weed industry there was dentacoin can you guess what that one's for dentist yes it was dentist oh wow <laughs> I, th- I thought it was just because i was thinking about the the because de- i went to the dentist yesterday no no there's also the whopper coin named after the burger wait is it for burger king yeah 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 wow. there's also cat coin oh for kitties yeah there's also sex coin oh, oh yeah. for doing it for doing it yeah there's also garlic coin gross yeah for garlic i am not a garlic fan i love garlic hot take i hate garlic wow I, well it gives me incredibly bad migraines and makes me puke sometimes well i'm really sad for that for you but i love garlic it also tastes nasty it tastes amazing oh my god okay, <laughs> i like this it. is like the, this is like the first on air fight. This is our fight about garlic. Wow. We need <laughs> but to that's okay. this and come back to this later because I'm shocked. <laughs> so whatever. As of February 25th, 2022, there were over 12,000 different cryptocurrencies. And that figure has doubled just since 2021 alone. By the end of 2021, the market was adding around 1,000 new cryptocurrencies each month. And the three biggest cryptocurrencies are currently Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Tether. Tether is actually backed by the U.S. dollar, and it's considered a stable coin. However, these thousands of other coins are sometimes referred to as altcoins. And the weirdest and lowest valued ones are more colloquially known as shitcoins. Like, you got Bitcoin, and then you got shitcoin. Um, And I just love that name so much. Like, it just makes me laugh. And there's even a whole page called Shitcoin Definition on Investopedia. Like, it kills me. Like, yes. The website is all like, 
Shape coins are easy to identify because they follow a specific pattern. Although there may be some interest in a coin when it launches, its price remains relatively level, but the price increases exponentially over a short period of time as investors begin to jump on board. This is followed by a nosedive caused by investors who dump their coins to capitalize on short-term gains. So yeah, that's a shit coin, apparently. Mm. Um, and the reason is pretty easy. You can hire someone on Fiverr to make you a cryptocurrency for less than $20 so we all can have our own shit coins. Whoa, Kenny coin. Kenny coin. <laughs> so today it's estimated that over 8% of Americans own cryptocurrency or 27 million people. And even more than that, 16% of Americans say they have invested in, traded, or used cryptocurrency at some point. And if you've ever heard of the phrase crypto bro, there's a reason for that. The makeup of people using cryptocurrency decidedly skews towards men. 43% of men aged 18 to 29 have used cryptocurrency compared to just 8% of like the general American public and over two times as many men as women overall in any age range. And 85.77% of Bitcoin community engagement comes from men. Why am I not surprised? Right? And similarly, it's a pretty white thing, too. 80% of white respondents in a survey had high levels of awareness of Bitcoin compared to just 61% of black respondents. Um, and in Turkey, 20% of citizens overall use cryptocurrency. And in Nigeria, 32%. And that's the highest adoption anywhere in the world. So in 2020, Ethereum alone got about 1 million daily transactions. Whoa. Yeah, and as of 2021, there were 14,915 Bitcoin automated teller machines. So that's Bitcoin ATMs around the world. There used to be one actually on at that liquor store on York where Eagle Rock kind of meets Highland Park for a while. And the liquor store's gone now, but I always thought that was interesting. Yeah, I think, oh, I saw one in the mall by the Boba place. Yes, we saw one in the mall by the Boba place, I remember. Um, yeah, like since January, 2021, the confidence in cryptocurrency is at 97% in like the general public. And at that same time, there were 18.6 million Bitcoins in existence. Today, the average crypto daily trading volume is $120 billion across the board. And Bitcoin alone accounts for over 40% of the total cryptocurrency market. So over 32% of small businesses in the U.S. say they accept cryptocurrency as a form of payment, which makes sense when you consider that nearly the same amount, 27% of Americans, support adopting Bitcoin as legal tender. The cryptocurrency market predicted uh, growth at an annual rate of nearly 13% every year until 2030. Okay, so like why are all these people buying cryptocurrency? Uh, I, I have a multitude of reasons. I mean, I bought it because I feel like I was less likely to spend it than real money and maybe the value would go up in the meantime. Yeah, I feel like the average person, we're like, oh, maybe it's a good investment, right? Like we all know someone whose friend's friend made a lot of money selling crypto. I know someone who made a ton of money selling crypto. Yeah, I know some people where I'm like, damn, you did that? And it just kind of gives off the vibes of like a modern day gold rush. Um, and it plays into the idea that we are all just maybe one good crypto trade away from transcending our economic circumstances. Right. And the value of crypto is based on supply and demand. And because it's new uncharted territory, the demand is kind of volatile. The supply though, it's controlled via mining. And with Bitcoin, for example, the rewards for mining Bitcoin are reduced in half every four years or so. So in 2009, mining Bitcoin would earn you 50 Bitcoin. In 2012, this was halved to 25 Bitcoin. 
By 2016, it was halved again to 12.5 Bitcoin. And in 2020, it was halved to 6.25 Bitcoin. Mm. And as it stands, more than 90% of total Bitcoins like ever that will exist have been mined. And only 10% or around 2 million remain. It's pretty obvious though, uh, still, that if you have the right setup, you can make a lot of money mining crypto. And lots of people have. Global mining income is over $20 billion per year. Yeah, it's funny. My ex, when I was like wanting to quit my job a couple of years ago, before it was Bitcoin, he's like, you should mine Ethereum. I can teach you how. And now I'm like, I should have taken him off on that. <laughs> it's a lot of money. Um, so that's like kind of how we know the supply enters, right? Because people are inspired to mine for for crypto because they get paid in crypto and that's kind of what controls the supply of crypto and they kind of have it on this halving system with bitcoin whatever but what about the demand like what influences people's demand for cryptocurrency so there's a few things um and one i think is utility so this one's really interesting to me because it seems so speculative like what is crypto good for especially now that silk road is gone like i'm sure you can still use like crypto on the dark web to buy sketchy shit. Um, but in my day-to-day life, I can't even buy drugs with this stuff. What am I, what's the, what's the point? What does it do that regular money can't? And there are some industry specific uses for cryptocurrency, which provide a usefulness that could influence demand. Like by the end of 2030, banks will save $27 billion through blockchain implementation. And that means that for some estimates, banking expenses overall could be cut in half. So that's kind of like a practical application. Um, there's also that idea you kind of touched on earlier about like direct digital payment where you just like pay, you pay your friend for what you need. It's direct. Yeah, you don't have to worry about a bank. Right, and there's no lag times. So not everyone has access to a bank account or credit card. Um, not everyone can use online commerce if they don't have a bank account or credit card, but anyone can use crypto. And our current system also relies on third parties to facilitate exchanges like you were talking about. Mm-hmm. It's like if I Venmo you, the money goes into Venmo from my bank and then Venmo sends the money to your Venmo and then you get the money from your Venmo into your bank. It's like a lot of like kind and of there's third like, And that's, and then they're getting fees on top of that. Right, and now there's fees, right? And also they can be unreliable and slow. Like it takes a few days sometimes to like transfer money. Also if you're just like, fuck Wells Fargo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So cryptocurrency would replace a third party like a Bank of America or Wells Fargo or PayPal with the network itself, which is managed by a distributed web of computers all across the world. And it has potential implications for e-commerce as well as a result, though it hasn't actually been actualized. Um, There's also this thing called smart control, which crypto can do. So since it's programmable money, you can do things like establish trusts via crypto without the use of a lawyer. So basically you could create a wallet for your kids or your grandkids or whatever and set up a smart contract that programs the wallet so the funds are automatically moved into your kid's wallet or whatever on their 18th birthday, just like a trust. And once the transaction has been initiated and started and like put into the wallet with a smart contract, the initiator no longer has control over the funds. So the implication of this kind of extends further into finance and law and real estate and stuff. But again, hasn't really been actualized. Um, There were also benefits like reducing the risk of fraud due to how secure the blockchain is. Although this makes me nervous because lots of like wallets get hacked. So does it even matter? I I see this on Twitter all the time where, where it's like people are making fun of people who lost their, who got their wallets hacked. Yeah. And they're like, haha, you got the wrong the wrong wallet and then someone else would be like this is what you have to do so you blah 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 with the wallet or like blah blah and it's like Ugh. yeah some people like store theirs on hard drives and put hard drives in safes but i'm like that's just like having a bunch of cash in your house like anybody could take that you know 
So I don't know. People are always like, oh, it's so safe. It's so safe. And I'm like, it seems like it gets hacked kind of a lot. I know. It does because like, yeah. Yeah. But whatever the case, um, you can also like increase crowdfunding potential with initial coin offerings, which businesses can use as a source of capital for startup. Uh, Again, not really fully actualized, but just a thing you could do. Additionally, there's more transparency, I guess, with cryptocurrency due to the records of use being on the blockchain. So while it is super private and anonymous, like theoretically companies could opt to disclose their entire blockchain history for ultimate transparency and accountability with customers. But again, that's like not really actualized. That's just a thing that could happen. You can also use it as um, like a stable currency alternative in some cases if a country's currency is unstable. I think this is actually the first implication I thought of like for use. Like say your government's currency crashes or inflates or whatever happens and it's not worth anything. Like it would be nice to have a currency that wasn't automatically devalued along with that happening in your country, like a global currency. Yeah, I feel like I heard something about this with Russia because like the ruble right now is like not worth it like anything and ukraine yeah yeah um so that could be like you know something useful um people also speculate that there are non-monetary benefits like from a data perspective like you could send someone for example a transaction worth pennies on the blockchain and attach to it whatever data you like and that could ensure that that data could never be scrubbed from the internet um it is just all pretty speculative and another main thing that influences like the demand um is media like crypto is a really volatile market and if you're trading it you can make a lot of money really quickly if you buy low and sell high right because it tends to go high and low relatively often you have more opportunities to do that than if you're just investing something more traditional and a major thing that drives the price of it is media even down to social media like crypto holders have long been accused of trying to manipulate the market by driving prices up and down via media so they can buy and sell at exactly the right moment to make a profit and studies have established social media comments impact Bitcoin's price movements immensely. Analysts and researchers have proven increasingly positive social media commentary can significantly drive Bitcoin prices up. So when I first bought Bitcoin, because I saw everybody on social media like, ah, Bitcoin! Making money! That's exactly what happened. I fell victim to Bitcoin market manipulation. People were trying to drive the prices up so they could sell. And it worked. Um... Yeah, and they've also like proven that infrequent users taking time to comment about Bitcoin moves the price of Bitcoin by almost 10 times as much uh, when they post positive commentary than just like if somebody who loves Bitcoin who talks about it all the time does. Oh, yeah. It's like uh, if your friend who's just like, I don't really ride a bike, but I got this car and it's great. You're like, whoa, that car must really be great if you're not riding a bike. That bad example. I don't know why I have cars and apples and potatoes on my mind. Oh, you do? Yeah. I need more caffeine. It's okay. Um, similarly, though, negative online commentary also can drive Bitcoin's price down. So that can discourage the public from trading or investing in it, and it can make it like a perfect opportunity for people to come in and buy a bunch if they've driven the price down really low. So do you remember that time uh, Grimes had a TikTok, and it was weird, and at the end, Elon Musk yelled something about checking the price of Bitcoin? Um, And all of these people online, they were like, that is just an attempt to control the market. Like Elon Musk did that on purpose, especially because Tesla held nearly $2 billion worth of Bitcoin at the end of 2021. Whoa. Yeah. Bitcoin's price hit an all-time high of um, $44,000 in February 2021. Obviously, that's not the all-time high now, but like around this timeline after Elon Musk, who obviously is the owner of Tesla, 
Um, after on his Twitter, he said that the company had acquired $1.5 billion worth of Bitcoin. Then when news hit that Tesla would accept Bitcoin as payment for cars, Bitcoin's value again went up, eventually hitting in that time period $58,000. Wait, I know I, you know, the financial market don't really understand, but that sounds maybe slightly illegal to me. It's market manipulation, but there's no real rules about manipulating crypto. Oh, yeah, because I'm just like, I feel like, like what, like didn't Martha Stewart go to jail for like inside, like wouldn't that be like, is that not like insider trading? Yeah, maybe, but it's not on the stock market. So it doesn't matter. It's unregulated. Wow. And here I thought Elon Musk was stupid. (laughs) So this isn't just specific to crypto. Obviously, like you touched on, research conducted by Joel Perez in 2011 shows that the media influences investors' trading behavior across the board. And media blackouts uh, once resulted in an 18% fall in stock trading volume on a strike day, a single day. And in 2001, the New York Times dedicated a large space on its Sunday edition to a biotech company and its research achievements. And the next day, company shares of stock on the stock market jumped in value from $12 to $85. Whoa. So it's no different for crypto. And the demand for cryptocurrency is often extremely influenced by the media. So this is something you hear of like a lot is that people will come in and they'll like pick a coin and maybe they'll buy a whole bunch of it. Then they'll strategically try to put out media talking about how great that coin is so other people get interested in it. Then other people start buying it. It drives the price way, way up. And then once it hits a high, they sell. So a lot of rich people who are starting to get into crypto trading have been accused of doing this because they have the means and resources to control the media and control the narrative. So when you see like these really, really wealthy people making like crypto investments um, and then you see news coming out about it, a lot of people are like, that's a targeted plan to drive up and down the price Mm. to like their they're liking. Um, so another use of cryptocurrency is NFTs or non-fungible tokens, which we talked about earlier. Yeah. So where Bitcoins are fungible, meaning they can be traded for another Bitcoin and you'd have like basically the same thing, a non-fungible coin would be more like a trading card. So you could trade a card of Reggie Jackson, who is just like a sports guy that I Googled. I don't know who he is, for another trading card, but you might end up with like that card of C-3PO from Star Wars with the golden penis that was never supposed to be printed. Do you know about oh, this? Oh yeah, the most valuable trading card. Yeah. Get that eBay money. (laughs) And they're not equal though, right? They're not equal at all. And that just means that it's non-fungible. You can't just like trade one for another for trading cards. Um, They're all different. That's funny how I learned what NFTs were is I guess the the NBA was making these NFTs like baseball trading cards. Like they were like basically that. And that's why I was like, oh, that makes sense. Like trading cards. You can only have like one card. Yes. Or like... Or a limited amount of cards, you know, like there's only, there's only maybe two of the, the uh, robot penis cards. Yeah, very rare. Yes, exactly. So most NFTs are part of the Ethereum blockchain, which supports these non-fungible tokens. And do you remember how I talked about earlier, how you could like pay a few cents or something in a cryptocurrency, but then attach like any data you didn't want to be scrubbed from the internet? Yeah. So you could be like, uh, oh gosh, like a movie where they're like, they're the Soylent Greenest people. Yes, you could get a message out, you could put it with a few cents on the blockchain, nobody could scrub it. It would be there forever, this information. So that's kind of the same concept as how NFTs work. So an NFT is a non-fungible token, it's a coin, and it has extra information associated with the coin that makes it different than just like a Bitcoin or a regular Ethereum coin. 
other blockchains can support NFTs too. But the Ethereum ones are the most popular and many people actually suspect that they've only done this to drive up the value of Ethereum. I, yeah, I've also heard too that people uh, are buying NFTs because that's really the only thing you can do with Ethereum. That's interesting. Or just like basically to, um, you know how really rich people will like buy assets to put their money in because yes. they can't necessarily trust banks. They're like, fuck it, NFT. Yeah, so like you touched on, like we touched on, NFTs are basically just like trading cards, um, but on a dollar bill. You can make your silly little image or whatever, you can attach it to a coin's data log, and you can send it out into the world. And whoever buys it has a unique coin now with that data attached to it. They can sell it to someone else, sure, but there can't be more than one of them. And it also doesn't have to be visual, the data that's attached to it. Like my brain handled the visual element best because of the baseball card thing, like the same way it made sense to you. I think because we were born in the 80s, like we know what baseball cards are. That just makes sense to us. Mm -hmm. But it could be other data um, of any other digital thing too. Like it could be a song or it could be something you've written or it could be like a 3D rendering or a video, whatever. Somebody paid nearly $400,000 for a 50-second video by Grimes as an NFT. Wow. And someone paid $20,000 for a video of Logan Paul, the YouTuber. Ew. I know. Uh, someone else paid $6.6 .6 million for a video by Beeple. Do you know who Beeple is? Oh, yeah, the art. Okay, I didn't know. I had to look him up. Uh, did you see the art? Uh, I did. I saw it when I looked it up. You know, I should not judge anyone's art. Um, not for me. Not my, not my, not my, not my style. Not my style either. But he is a very famous graphic designer from South Carolina and he has 2.5 million followers on Instagram. So people like him apparently. I, you know, I think the technical skill, I'm like, wow, that's really cool. There is a lot of technical skill. That's a good point. So the thing is you can still pass around the images or the songs or the videos that are attached to the non-fungible tokens, but there's like only one original is the idea. So you think of it like you can make really good photocopies of your friend's painting, uh, but there's only one painting, but you can still enjoy the art with the photocopy. And I think that's why a lot of people try to sell NFTs like something new for the world of fine art. The reality is it does kind of sound good for some artists, like some are pretty weird, like there's this one 18 year old who says he's made over $17 million of NFTs. And I wouldn't argue that making that much money on anything is like good. But also I do know struggling artists who have made a little bit of money selling NFTs of their work and it really helped them with their yeah, art. Yeah, I know. I mean, and some, and some people's medium is digital. Right. Like, and is, so I feel like, oh, well, at least get some sort of compensation for it if we have to live in a world where we have to pay our rent and like do our car payments do our car payments yeah we have to do our car payments <laughs> i feel like i feel like i'm yeah yeah but it you know it sounds like maybe it could be the future of fine art for sure but it also just kind of sounds like beanie babies to me it really does sound like beanie babies it's beanie babies do you remember the princess diana beanie baby yeah was like, worth, like worth a ton of money uh apparently also the turkey the thanksgiving turkey oh i had no idea my sister told me this because she was born on thanksgiving and she had the turkey beanie baby wow do you remember seeing like on like tv couples would get like divorced and then they'd have to like divide their beanie baby <laughs> I, asset i love that meme of the the people in court dividing yes. their beanie babies and like, there were news stories the about this all the time <laughs> The Beanie Babies. I mean, it is kind of, you're like, okay, like, it's kind of weird and fucked up. But, like, also some people, you're like, well, that's a good, like, mode for you to get the word out about what you're doing. And 
it's also kind of just like a dystopian byproduct of late capitalism. Yeah, it seems like they're like capitalism now. You're forced to make money to live in your like in new creative bullshit ways we're just like yes well if you're because it, you know anymore it can't just be about like physical products right like it can't just be about like i'm just buying uh food to eat and uh, uh lumber to build my house it's like no it's like you have to make new bullshit to buy and sell yeah, and also I think it makes more sense when you are of, like, a lower class and you're making this thing to sell to rich people who don't know what to do with their money. You're like, fuck yeah, take this weird, stupid thing and give me your money. I'm like, I'm never going to be mad at somebody for taking Yo, rich people's money. No, never. Yeah. But some of it where you're like, the Gucci ghost, you What's know? The Gucci it was ghost? like an NFT. It was like a ghost. It's like Gucci. All I know is the what is the board apes. Yeah, you know, some of them are like when companies put these out or like rich artists put them out. I'm just like, eh. It's like cringe, you know? Yeah. The whole oh, thing's kind of weird. Yeah. I was like listening to something about NFTs and someone actually found the creators of the board Ape because it was like uh-huh. very secret. And this reporter was getting like wild like death threats Whoa. and stuff. Like kind of like Gamergate style. Whoa. Yeah. So it was just like, it was getting very serious. I was like, Whoa. Yeah. Well, okay, so this whole dystopian angle, it kind of goes along with some critiques about cryptocurrency on the whole. And kind of, what is the biggest critique of cryptocurrency you've heard? Um, that you can uh, do really suspect shit and do, like, really bad shit with the money and no one will ever know what you're doing with it because there's no way to, there's no ledger. It's encrypted. I mean, there is a ledger, but I mean, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah I mean, not le- it's very yeah, private. It's, it's private, so you, I mean, you can think of buying worse things than illegal drug. Like, I think of, like... People like, this was like a, a silly thing, but people were trying to like buying hits, like oh, paying yeah. hitmen with like cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. Uh, although the hitman turned out to be a grifter, which I thought was funny. I think that's so funny. <laughs> what are you going to do? Report him? Yeah. What are you going to do? I tried to hire a hitman and he grifted me. Yeah. That's the ultimate grift. <laughs> but like you can think of worse things. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think the biggest critique I've heard about it is the environmental impact. There's a huge, there's always been huge issues, people talking about the environmental impact of cryptocurrency on the whole. So the Cambridge Bitcoin Electricity Consumption Index estimates that Bitcoin mining alone uses more power globally per year than some countries, including Greece or the Netherlands or Pakistan. Whoa. And on top of that, a single Bitcoin transaction is estimated to burn 2,292.5 kilowatt hours of electricity, which is enough to power a typical U.S. household for over 78 days. What the fuck? I didn't realize it was that, like, much. Yeah, or the same carbon footprint as a traveler flying from New York to Amsterdam. Uh, in some countries this wouldn't be that big of a deal though because they use clean or green energy take for example norway brazil and new zealand who lead the world in renewable energy use in norway hydropower alone accounts for 45 percent of all energy in the country Um, however in other countries reliance on like fossil fuels is still a huge issue so if you're mining bitcoin in norway it's going to take less of a toll on the planet than if you're mining bitcoin in for example singapore where 98 percent of the energy is reliant upon fossil fuels similarly if you're mining crypto in china where 45 percent of all energy is renewable it's not going to be as bad as if you're mining crypto in the united states where just 20 percent of energy is renewable your location alone can have a huge impact on how bad for the planet crypto truly is. So there was this point actually where nearly 75% of all crypto energy came from renewable resources worldwide, which means that crypto's energy consumption isn't quite the nightmare that people were making it out to be. However, recently the locations used for crypto have started to shift. 
See, in spring of 2021, China put a ban on mining cryptocurrency. The National Development and Reform Commission spokesperson, uh, Meng Wei, blasted Bitcoin mining during a press conference in Beijing. And she said that activity consumes a lot of energy and produces a lot of carbon emissions. And basically, China has been working hard at meeting its goal of becoming carbon neutral by 2060. And as of last year, China accounted for more than 75% of Bitcoin mining around the world. And remember, China's energy resources are pretty green currently, nearly 50%. However, after China was like, you know what, we're putting a ban on all crypto mining here, crypto mining had to relocate and it started moving to countries whose energy usage is not so green, which increased the global environmental impact. So after relocating, Bitcoin's specific renewable energy use fell to just 25%. Alex DeVries, who authored a study out of the School of Business and Economics at the, oh God, I'm not going to be able to pronounce this, Vrije University in Amsterdam, said, uh, a lot of the hydropower these miners got previously in China has now been replaced with natural gas from the U.S., in the U.S., Bitcoin mining is booming, and American Bitcoin mines are powered with natural gas and coal. So Kentucky, for example, offers subsidies to crypto miners, specifically to attract business for the state's coal industry. Okay, I do not get this, why um, especially conservative people think that coal is so great. They're obsessed with it. They love it. It's like, I don't necessarily believe in Freudian shit, but it's almost like the penis is coal. <laughs> Because it's a man's job. You go yeah. in the mines. Well, yeah, work like, hard. It's, yeah, yeah, it's a manly job. Where, like I say every few episodes, there are more um, people who make their living off YouTube than there are coal miners. Yeah, but we're like obsessed with it, and you know, you see this this huge shift basically where China's working really hard at like implementing renewable and green energy, and they're like, we can't do this anymore. And they had been accountable, I think, for seventy five percent of all you know Bitcoin mining. Yeah, that's. Um, and then now it's like coming back to the United States and other countries where we're still using a lot of fossil fuels and we're not so committed to curbing our emissions. And there's a lot of people also cite that like China's the biggest polluter in the world, but per capita, they're actually not because China has a lot of people. So per capita, they're way, way lower than the United States. Like we have this huge issue with pollution per capita here that doesn't even compare. And we are now where a lot of Bitcoin mining is coming. Um, so there's a potential future, though, wherein this environmental impact is lessened. And it exists in this idea of an alternative to the proof of work that's needed to kind of validate transactions on the blockchain that we talked about. So the alternative would be this thing called proof of stake instead. So there's this one blockchain platform, Tezos, and they use proof of stake instead, which has a consensus mechanism that differs from Bitcoin. Rather than miners competing with computing power, the distributed network participants compete by committing stakes of tokens. Staking a greater number of tokens, which you know risk being forfeited in the event of fraud, increases the likelihood that a node, bad word again, will be selected by an algorithm to produce the next block of transactions, receiving rewards in the form of more tokens. And it kind of sounds like gambling, sure, but it reduces network power demand by more than 99%. Oh, whoa. Yeah, so you don't need warehouses stacked with specialty machines to mine. You can run it on a microcomputer. And Ethereum, which is the second largest public blockchain after Bitcoin, that same one the NFTs are run on, they're planning to shift to proof of stake by the end of 2022. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and a number of new blockchain applications like Cardano and Polkadot have chosen to launch using this protocol as well. Some people, though, especially in the world of Bitcoin, are resistant to switching over to proof of stake. 
Chris Bendiskin, uh, the research lead at digital assets investment company CoinShares, he says, the problem with proof of stake is that it's not trustless and it's not censorship resistant and it's not objective. There's no real difference from a high level perspective between proof of stake and consensus shareholder capitalism. Proof of stake is not a replacement for proof of work. It's just a return to the pre-Bitcoin system. I thought it was interesting that he was like critiquing capitalism in this way. Um, instead, many Bitcoiners point out that the majority of mining was done on renewable energy. And in coming years, mining will become increasingly obsolete anyway, since 90% of Bitcoin is already mined. And compared to other industries, here's the big twist. Bitcoin actually isn't that bad at all. Really? Yeah. So all those numbers we gave you earlier, lots of people throw those out. And uh, I always thought Bitcoin must be terrible for the environment. Uh, and it is. But definitely not any more terrible than anything else we do is for the environment. MicroStrategy CEO Michael Saylor said in a recent briefing, the only way you can get more sustainable and more efficient would be to create an imaginary industry. See, Bitcoin mining is actually one of the most clean and efficient uses of energy in the world out of any major industry. Even at its worst, Bitcoin consumed less than half of the energy of the banking or gold industries. Oh, not even combined, either one of them. Hmm. So while Bitcoin, for example, consumes 113.89 terawatt hours per year, the traditional banking industry consumes 263. Interesting. Right. So I thought that was super interesting because everyone's always like, the problem with Bitcoin is the energy. And I'm like, oh, but they use less than traditional banking does. Yeah. So that was really interesting. Anyway. I mean, I guess it adds, but also... Uh, the way that capitalism works, there's always new and new industries because you have to keep making more and more shit. Well, and like we talked about earlier, banks are making huge transitions onto blockchain because it saves them money anyway. Oh, So they'll end up adopting a lot of these policies which will actually bring down the overall like um, energy consumption of traditional banking if they implement it as well. yeah, good point. Yeah, so in the end... You know, cryptocurrency, it kind of seems like a wash to me. Its environmental impact doesn't seem to be quite the issue people make it out to be on the internet. Um, And it doesn't actually seem to do any good for the average person besides potentially being an investment to help them out long term if it continues to rise in value. It has the same function as traditional money and therefore the same downfall. It's a store of value and it allows people to hoard wealth just in a new fun internet way that makes them feel kind of like anarcho-capitalist cyberpunks or something. I definitely don't think it's like evil for the average person to invest in crypto though, which is like a lot of what um, especially leftist discourse online seems to say. To me, it doesn't seem any different than, uh, you know, holding money of any other kind. But I think it's important for us to remember that crypto is like not going to save the world. It just probably won't break the world any more than it's already broken though. So it's not at the top of my list for things to be angry at today. Mm. So what do you think? I kind of agree where it's just like, I feel... Especially the thing where people have really strong opinions about NFTs. I actually have the controversial opinion that I do not have strong opinions on NFTs because it also just seems like the same system we have now of trading money for things. Yeah, it seems like people like to get mad at the symptom rather than address like the illness. Yeah, because they're just like, oh, well, it's like not art and it's ugly. And I'm like, well, who can say what is art? Yeah. Uh, and yes, a lot of it is ugly, but a lot of art is ugly. 
Yeah, and also, like, our current system of, like, art buying. It's, like, super, super managed by extremely wealthy people. Yeah, it's a way, and, you know, like, the, you could do a whole episode about how, like, the art industry and how, like, fucked up it is, you know? I'm adding that to our list. (laughs) I did that right now. I think that would be a good episode. And it's just, like, that's just another thing. Like, all, it is funny to me that this, Bitcoin was trying to, subvert capitalism but it really is just like a little mini capitalist money yeah it's still money it's to me it's just like it's playing around with this idea of value stored value instead of actually um doing material things like well we just need i just want free health care yeah we just like (laughs) Can we just get healthcare, housing, food, yeah. like everybody clothed? Can we just all be chill with each other? Like, why do we have to create this extra step? Right. It is an extra step and it is extremely volatile. And it's like, I get why people, I get why middle class or lower class people buy crypto because it's a chance to help their financial situation. It's like a gold rush. Like you could, it's yeah. like, you could fucking really make a big difference in your I know people who it's made a huge difference in their life because right. they got in early like this could to, be your retirement but to me it also is just like it does seem rife with uh potential grift yeah and I also think it's like if it ends up being used by the mega systems anyway like if it's used by Tesla and if it's used by Elon Musk and if it's used by banks and they're controlling the price and the value of it, just like they do the stock market through media and through all these like strategic efforts to drive prices low and high at their convenience. And we're not privy to that information. How revolutionary can it be? Yeah. And you know, I think I was reading an article and I could totally have misunderstood it or be misquoting it. And I don't remember the article, but it was just like, it is odd how they're talking about NFTs, Bitcoin, like it just seems to recreate the system of hoarding wealth by a very few. Like if you yes. think of the Bitcoin billionaires, like it is not it is not doing anything revolutionary. Who is still hold, holds the most wealth? Uh, white men. Right. Like white, you know, it's like it, it's not creating any more equality. It's it's just simply replicating the system, but to actually maybe a more extreme degree, which is really troubling to me because it's so new so fast like what what is this going to create in its wake is it you know it seems like the potential thing would there could even be a greater gulf between the ultra wealthy and the you know the normal the normals <laughs> the you normals, know us normals <laughs> you know yeah. there could be a, a and in this way it just creates this other level where there's these people who hold all the crypto and then us who don't hold all the crypto it's just recreating these systems and i feel like a lot of people who are really it seems like a lot of people who are really gung-ho on this system i don't know what their views are like it seems like maybe they could be anti-capitalist or they could be like some sort of weird bro-y libertarian i feel like it's an anarcho-capitalist thing yeah i I don't understand that me neither they're like i'm a rebel i don't like rules i want to do things on my own so that i can make a lot of money it's like (laughs) it kind of reminds me did you see the TikTok about there was these libertarians got together and bought a town and they're like, no fucking rules. Like, oh, yeah. No. We talked about and this so, in an episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were like, so there was no trash collection. They just like, there is no services. So guess what happened? The town was overrun by bears. Yes. And in this situation, I'm just like, well, there's no 
rules, like in this, like you know, like price manipulation. Because you know, if you think about like our Senate, Congress, it's made up of old people who don't understand technology. Yes, they are. So very it old. seems like there's a lot of grift and a lot of shit you can get away with in this sort of market. Also, it's like recently Congress is looking into cryptocurrency, but they're only looking into the environmental impact. And I'm like, that seems so performative. Like, that's not the issue. But, of course, they're not going to actually do anything about it because, like, again, we like to look at symptoms, not, like, the illness. Like, the illness is capitalism. And we're like, oh, cryptocurrency could be bad. And you're like, dude, capitalism is bad. It's like, it's this like the, is not any worse. It's this like the straw capitalism. thing where it's like, the it's like, you know, yes. it's like, yeah, maybe we should use less straw, but that's not – the point is – how these big companies have have set up all this pollution right exactly (laughs) and we're expected to make it our own personal issue our personal moral issue rather than this big systemic one that is being controlled by very few people who have traditionally held power and not by consensus right it does seem yeah it's interesting because it's like okay yeah is cryptocurrency like an opportunity for the wealth to hoard even more wealth Yes, obviously. But then also on the flip side, you're like, oh, is it also, has it also become a talking point that lends itself to people laying onto the personal accountability thing and trying to discourage other people from buying cryptocurrency who are like normal people who are like, well, this could maybe help my retirement. This could maybe help my future. And I feel like that's where the kind of issue like comes in. It's like we do sometimes, I feel like, especially like in leftist spaces or whatever, like err on the side of personal accountability too. We're like, why are you buying NFTs? Why are you selling an NFT of your art? Like, why are you buying crypto? And you're it's like, It's like, well, why do I have to do this? Right, why do I have like, to do this to I have survive? to pay my fucking rent. Yeah. Dude, like, that, it's like, it, it's it's a really nuanced thing because it's mm-hmm. like a this and this. Like, right. yes, it's a fucked up system and I have to pay rent. And how much worse is this than all the other shit we do to pay rent all yeah. the time, you know? Or to save for your retirement. Or, you know, yeah, it's all like, a shit show. I don't like the idea of, like, a 401k, but yeah. I'm going to get one. Yeah. Like, yeah, because it's just like... Because you have to be able to take care of yourself in your old age when you can't work. Yeah, and it's like I've had that experience of be getting very sick very quickly and it, like going from like 30 to 80 feeling and yeah. it's just like so I'm just like whoa the future is coming like but you know it's hard to think about and it's like that's why I'm just like well just in case like capitalism doesn't go away and like we all get free health care <laughs> like right no. but it, you know but you know on you know I guess like it's it's hard because you know like on principle I just want to not work and uh do uh make uh do i don't know outdoor stuff and uh make shitty music and uh i love that i love that i think my my feelings on crypto are uh i don't care i don't really care (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think i wouldn't i'm i probably went the deepest i went and i i love how it's it's still just like well, it it's just uh, it's just the capitalism. And- it is the straw of money. Yeah, it is. You are trying to make me stop using my straw. I don't. That's not going to stop the problem. Yeah, um, but I do think that it's just it's just like money, but cooler. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just like well, it's, it's just like cool money. <laughs> that, that's why like, cyber money. It's just cyber money, like. It's basically like the hackers of money. It it's has flues dues. <laughs> it's dollar bills that wear Oakleys. Yes. Oh my God, it is. It really is. 
And it's still a dollar bill though, just at a different font. And I have the same critiques of it that I have of money, but you know what? I gotta use money to pay for my sweet, sweet coffee coke addictions. So that's it that's the episode on cryptocurrency do you have anything else you want to add to this lovely episode no i'm just thinking about dollar bills wearing jinko jeans oh i love it so hip flu's news out thank you so much for listening um if you'd like to support us uh you can do so on patreon uh patreon.com slash pick me up i'm scared and for two dollars a month you can access bonus content uh you can ask us questions which we may or may not answer on the air or in a message and it's just really fun uh, but also we just love that you're here uh thank you again <laughs>